All right. So uh, this could be a lot like the episode we did yesterday. In this case, I am talking about Megan McCain's book, Bad Republican. Um, in my head, by the way, uh, the word like fail daughter is so much part of this because it's the title of my review in Jacobin and um, it's, you know, it kept coming up in my conversation about this with Sam Cedar on Monday on uh, GTAA uh, that I keep, I keep having to remind myself that the title of the book is not fail daughter, <laughs> which would have been much more self-aware. It is bad Republican. Uh, okay. So uh, let's talk about Bad Republican and my review of Bad Republican and some stuff I couldn't fit into the review uh, that was published in Jacobin, and then um, and then I'll I'll try to get in a few questions uh, before we go. Okay, so bad republican is megan mccain's memoir it's not the first one she's published because of course it's not uh but it's the one she just published uh and it covers the last few years of her life so in terms of her life what it covers is the cancer diagnosis suffering to death of her father john mccain um and it covers her marriage to um, the sort of beginning, you know, some of her dating life and ultimately her marriage to Ben Dominic, uh, who is the founder of uh, a ugly little magazine called The Federalist uh, and uh, the birth of their daughter, Liberty, and the COVID pandemic going on and how that impacted everything. And then um, and then also you know, the presidency of John McCain and her relationship to, wow, the presidency of John McCain, um, the presidency of Donald Trump and her relationship uh, to that set of events. And probably most importantly, uh, her stint as a co-host for The View, which she was on for uh, four years, I think, in total. Um so that's what's covered in the book. Uh, so what's, uh, I guess the first thing I should talk about is how she covers all this, right? How the book is written. So the book is written in very much the style of like a kind of gossipy oversharing series of blog posts from about 2008, uh, which seems to be uh, the year that Megan's writing style got stuck. Uh, because in 2008, uh, she actually did do a gossipy oversharing blog. It was called McCain Blogette, and it was supposed to be her contribution to her father, John McCain's run for president when he was the Republican nominee for president in 2008. That, you know, that like it was going to humanize uh, John McCain uh, by giving his, you know, giving her daughter's perspective as she followed him around on the campaign trail. And in a lot of ways, actually, I should say there are a lot of things about Megan's persona. You know, she was 24 when her dad ran for president in 2008, or she turned 24 during the campaign. And there are a lot of things about her persona that just seem sort of permanently 24, right? Or even younger that, you know, she is definitely 
has the persona of someone who's primarily somebody's daughter, which is, of course, exactly what she is, because uh, she doesn't really have any accomplishments to speak of, right? Like, I mean, all she's ever done is be interviewed and expressed opinions about politics. And the only reason that she was ever invited to do any of those things is because she was John McCain's daughter. You keep every single other fact about her life consistent and nobody would give a shit what she had to say about anything for any reason. Right. Uh, because ultimately what you would be talking about at that point, right. You know, you take out the fact that John McCain is her father. And of course, if you take that out, she'd have a very different life. But if you take that out and somehow keep as much as possible else the same, you just have, okay, she can write at the level that she actually can write. She, um, she acts the way that she actually does act uh, on TV uh, and, you know, with, whether she's a host or whether she's doing an interview, uh, you keep all of her opinions the same and, you know, you know, her style, everything that's the same. Well, again, I know it wouldn't be the same, but if you do keep it the same, but omit that particular biographical fact that she's John McCain's daughter. And I mean, maybe a local newspaper would be interested in talking to her, but that's, that's an if. That's a maybe. I'm actually not sure that that's true. Okay. Um, so I don't want to be too mean about this. I should, uh, I should say a little bit more about the pros and cons of the way that the book is written. So, uh, and I'll put my own biases up front. I'll admit that I've always found Megan McCain annoying and kind of contemptible. Uh, and that, one of the reasons I agreed to review this book for Jacobin is that I thought it was funny and, you know, I was, I was not incorrect, uh, that, you know, the whole exercise would be funny in some ways. Um, and also because, you know, I was about to do this two day road trip from, uh, Michigan back to Georgia and, you know, I, I figured this would be a, this would be a reasonable way of, um, you know, of filling a few hours, you know, that it, the whole book is only five and a half hours long. I could listen to it uh, the first day and then start, you know, and then start writing the review, which is, you know, which is what I did. Um, was it entirely unpleasant to listen to? Eh, you know, to be honest, it was kind of like, you know, if you've ever been, I know this is a little dated because increasing numbers of people just watch TV through like apps or on YouTube or whatever, but especially the kind of people I think who are going to listen to this. But, uh, you know, if you could remember what it's like to just, like, sit on the couch and, like, just flip through a channel, see what's on and, you know, flip around. Uh, and then you start watching some pretty shitty sitcom. Like, not horrendously shitty. Like, not even, like, uh, Two and a Half Men shitty. Yeah, maybe, like, Two and a Half Men shitty. But maybe, like, halfway between, like, Two and a Half Men and, like, I don't know, Scrubs. Right, like so, the high end of the range is still not exactly good TV, but uh, you know there's still a big gap, and you're about halfway in between there. So you start watching some pretty mediocre, shitty kind of sitcom, and let's say it's one of those sitcoms where they run like four reruns in a row, six reruns in a row, uh, and you're just watching like about the fourth rerun, and you know it's not unpleasant in a sort of numbed out way. That's kind of how it feels to listen to this book. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it, but, you know, whatever. It is what it is. Um, again, the writing style is very reminiscent of the sort of Bush-era 
uh, blogosphere, you know, by which I don't, I don't mean like the net root stuff, of course, because that would be the opposite of Megan's point of view. But, uh, but just, the, just the sort of way that people did blogs in that era, right? So, for example, um, she's got a whole section that is about, uh, you know, the birth of her daughter, Liberty, and it's during COVID and all the problems that, you know, came up between that, you know, just, you know, even relative to being an extremely rich person who could afford top-of-the-line care at every stage of the process, uh, and so she has, um, you know, she's got this section where she's talking about how she couldn't produce enough breast milk and she, uh, and she has like lactation coaches there to, uh, to help her. And she's describing the lactation coach, um, splattering like formula on her boobs. And then, uh, the, you know, the baby's like baby Liberty is like latching for a second and then stops and, is screaming and she's like, and there's like this milk splattered everywhere and there's screaming and uh, the line that stuck in my head is it's like a horror movie with milk instead of blood. It's like a horror movie, but with milk instead of blood, which, you know, gives you some sense of Megan's writing style. Uh, The best thing you can say about that writing style is that she doesn't hold anything back. It's extremely unfiltered, right? No detail is too embarrassing for her to conclude, include, right? I mean, it's kind of got this, like, almost, like, sort of, um, I don't know, like, vintage chiclet kind of feel to it, you know, like that Bridget Jones's Diary kind of deal where it's, like, um, it, it's almost like, you know, part of, well, there's no almost about it, right? Part of the point is to make her relatable by including a bunch of embarrassing intimate details uh, in, a, in a breezy way. And the good thing about that style is that because she doesn't hold anything back, she lets herself be very raw and vulnerable about the stuff in the book that is actually moving, when some of it is. Um, The fact that, um, you know, I mean, look, John McCain is somebody who I view as a war criminal. I think objectively he is a war criminal, uh, was a war criminal. Um, And I have no truck whatsoever with the way that the liberal media always used to glorify him. You know, he was like John Stewart's favorite guest right up until he ran for president or the way that like, you know, never Trump types and, you know, and uh, MSNBC types have all this nostalgia for what a good, honorable man he is. Um, look, the man never found a war he didn't like. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, you know, as far as I'm concerned, most of the bad stuff that Trump did, McCain probably would have done. Uh, maybe not some of the worst of the immigration stuff. I expect he probably would have been, you know, more like George W. Bush in that respect. Uh, but um, which is still, you know, not great. But I think that, you know, I think the most important difference between the actual Trump administration and a hypothetical McCain administration is that McCain would have been a whole lot likely, more likely to invade Iran. Right? I mean, I remember the joke that I made on TMBS, you know, when uh, um, when Trump you know, came very close to going to war with Iran and then didn't do it, is that probably the only reason he didn't go through with it is that it, he knew it was John McCain's dying wish, right? Uh, so I could not have less sympathy for John McCain, but look, this is also somebody who in a very unfiltered way, she's describing her dad, who she clearly loved very much, uh, having brain cancer and, you know, having that kind of take away his, you know, body and mind and kill him. And, 
even somebody who hates John McCain as much as I do. I mean, I did find some of those passages moving. Uh, similarly, I think that her, you know, the fact that she genuinely loves her terrible, ghoulish uh, husband, you know, again, Ben Dominich, founder of the Federalist, and their uh, innocent daughter, you know, Liberty. Uh, the fact that, you know, the fact that she really loves her family, I mean, is, is definitely her best feature, you know, and, uh, and, it does, and it does come through clearly. The problem with this writing style is that she is equally unfiltered. She is equally raw and vulnerable when it comes to her nonsensical aggrievement about how she's been treated in the world of New York media and politics and all this stuff. And all that stuff, you know, she's very raw and vulnerable about exactly how hurt she is by all of that. And all of that just stuff just comes, comes across as contemptible and whiny, right? So uh, probably the most extreme example is she actually refers, I wrote this down at one point in the book, she refers to her job at The View, right? Remember, this is a job expressing opinions about politics on daytime television, uh, she refers to as mentally, physically, and spiritually exhausting. Seriously. Mentally, physically, and spiritually exhausting. Expressing opinions about politics on daytime television. Okay, Megan. Um, and, you know, she, like, the last, the last sentence of the book, I swear to God, I'm not making this up, is when you've been through hell, you know, keep going. It's like, been through hell. Bitch, what the fuck are you talking about? Been through hell? What? What? Uh, what on, What hell is this, right? You know, you're a rich kid who, uh, who was born on third base and landed all these jobs, you know, in high-profile public forums. She was on MSNBC. She was on Fox. She was co-host of The View for four years. Right now, as we speak, she's a columnist for the Daily Mail. Um... She landed all these jobs based on absolutely nada except family connections. She cannot, like, just her level of, you know, morality aside, politics aside, you know, content of anything she thinks aside, just her ability to think on her feet on television is abysmal. You know, just her knowledge of the issues is abysmal. But somehow she always got all this stuff and at some points, people were a little bit mean to her, although not really that much. And she's calling that going through hell? Really? Uh, okay, so uh, what are some examples that she gives of uh, going through hell? Well, let me just real quick run through three uh, that I mentioned in the piece, and then if people want to call in and you know ask questions or comment, you know we could uh, uh, get a, go ahead and get into queue now, and I'll 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 take some calls when I you know when I get through some of this. Um, and I should say that in addition to these specific examples, I couldn't really fit all this into the review, but she also, uh, she also talks, for example, about like, uh, that video, which, you know, full disclosure, I think is an extremely funny video. I have shared multiple times. I shared it while I was working the review of the supercut of Megan McCain saying, my father, my father, my father, my father, my father. Uh, again, full disclosure, I found it hilarious. Uh, but she brings up, you know, how, how hurtful she found it. Uh, and she's, and okay, you know, fair enough. But then, like, she says, um, 
that, oh, what is it supposed to prove that I was interviewed about my father many times? It's like, eh, okay, Megan, I'm going to have to call foul on that. Uh, if you actually watch the video, a whole bunch of those our fathers are on The View, and you can see on the screen it says, like, hot topics. I guarantee you the hot topic they were talking about was not who is Megan's dad, right? It was some completely unrelated subject where she was wedging in uh, talking about, you know, my father, John McCain, because that's all she's got. Right? Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's kind of, I don't know, I, I find that very telling. But in any case, let's get to the examples. So uh, one of the first examples she talks about surprisingly extensively in the book is her, uh, her appearance on... Uh, whatever it was called, Late Night or whatever, with Seth Meyers, um, where Seth Meyers was uh, giving her a hard time about comments that uh, Megan had made about Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. Um, And the way she talks about this appearance is like it was the worst thing that had ever happened to her in her entire life. Like... I cannot overstate how dramatic the way she talks about this appearance is. Um, she, she talks, like she says things, you know, when she's talking about it, she says like, um, well, look, I mean, she, uh, she says her initial impulse was to blame the tough interview with Seth Myers for the fact that she had a, mid, a miscarriage, right? You know, which, because she found out like the next day, Uh, She says her doctor reminded her that, quote, women in Syrian war zones, unquote, you know, routinely have healthy pregnancies. Uh, But, you know, but that was exactly how traumatizing she found it, you know, that she that she was uh, that uh, that it was so bad that she thought it might have caused her uh, her miscarriage. Uh, She says that she just she vowed that was the phrase she used. She vowed right then and there never to go on late night television ever again because this appearance on Seth Myers was just that bad, right? Okay, come on. You can find the clip of this online. In fact, it's embedded in the, in the Jacobin article. Seth Myers is extremely polite to her. The tone of his voice is extremely mild. Um, the worst, you know, I mean, I guess the complaint was that he didn't let it go. Right, that he kept bringing up the subject past the point where Megan felt uncomfortable. Um, fine, but the tone of his voice is very mild. His, his the words he chooses are very polite. Literally, the worst thing he says, you know, unless there's some other part of the clip that wasn't in the you know wasn't in the video I watched, uh, but I think that was pretty complete. Uh, literally, the worst thing he says is that McCain was being, and I quote a little unfair to Ilhan Omar. That's the worst he says. And again, she's blaming this for her miscarriage. Uh, she's blaming her miscarriage on this. Uh, she's, uh, you know, she's talking about how she had to vow to like never go on late night television ever again. Um, okay. Like, let's also remember the context, what was it, you might ask, that she said about Ilhan Omar, right? 
Well, what she said about Ilhan Omar was that she repeatedly accused her of being an anti-Semite uh, based on, you know, her tweets about Israel. Okay, so she's smearing Ilhan Omar as an anti-Semite for her comments about a nation state, about a government that's engaged in oppression of another population. Uh, so she's, she's throwing around these wild, irresponsible accusations of bigotry. In fact, there's one of those clear, you know, part of the previous uh, comments that uh, Myers was, uh, was asking her about was about her bringing up Ilhan Omar and Ilhan Omar supposedly bringing, you know, spreading anti-Semitism during a discussion of a mass shooting in a synagogue and somehow Megan is the victim of this interaction, really? Okay, so that's one example of a... Uh, uh, another example... Well, yeah, actually, let's just do this one and then, and then let's go to calls, I think. Uh, but um, another example that's even better is... Actually, no, sorry. Let's, let's do both of the other ones I was thinking of. Uh, so, sorry, the one I was going to cut is too good. It's too good not to include, right? So uh, the, another example is uh, of Megan uh, in 2020. Right? So this is like a couple of years after the Seth Meyers thing. Uh, at least like a year. I think a lot of that Ilhan Omar stuff was like early 2019. So it's like a year, year and a half. Summer of 2020, uh, there's unrest has swept the country after the murder of George Floyd. Um and uh, and there are all these mass protests, and there are also lots of riots. Okay, so she is freaked out about riots. She's actually, as this happens, uh, she and her husband um, are, she's pregnant with liberty. She and her husband are riding out the pandemic in Virginia, but they're still maintaining the apartment in New York and referring to that apartment in New York. Uh, she, uh, she tweets, uh, she goes to Twitter and she tweets this, quote, my neighborhood in Manhattan is eviscerated. It looks like a war zone. De Blasio and Cuomo are an utter disgrace. This is not America. Our leaders have abandoned us and continue to let great American cities burn to the ground and be destroyed. I never could have fathomed this. In response, uh, there's this writer for Samantha Bee's Full Frontal. That's how Megan identifies her anyway in the, uh, in the book. Uh, Kristen Bartlett, who responds... I quote tweeted that with a single sentence, which I have to admit made me laugh very hard, which was, Megan, we live in the same building, and I just walked outside. It's fine. And that's it. Now, as I say in the review, I'm not the kind of leftist who denies the existence of something that could reasonably be called cancel culture. Uh, I think what happened to Justine Sacco, for example, is very, very bad. This is not that. This is somebody um, making a mildly snarky joke at your expense and lots of people liking and retweeting it. That is all it is. Like, if this is as bad as cancel culture got, I would agree with all the people who said that the whole phenomenon of cancel culture was just rich people whining about being criticized because that's exactly what this is. You know, when Megan McCain tries to portray it that way. Uh, she describes Bartlett's tweet as, quote, that woman essentially printing my address online, unquote, and, quote, my address essentially being handed to trolls, unquote. Even though, as I point out in the article, all you would know 
from those tweets is that Megan McCain and Kristen Bartlett both live in the same building, and that building is somewhere in New York. That's it. But this is such a traumatic experience that the same way that uh, Seth Meyers asking her politely too many times if she was being unfair to Ilhan Omar drove her off of late-night television forever, uh, being quote-tweeted by Kristen Bartlett drove her forever from New York City, the actual physical location. that uh, They'd been maintaining this apartment in New York the whole time uh, there in Virginia, uh, but uh, then she decided, she actually, they'd already signed the lease for another year. Uh, Megan actually breaks her lease and moves her stuff out of that apartment and never returns to New York again because that was so traumatic that Kristen Bartlett quote tweeted her and said, Megan, we live in the same building and I just walked outside. It's fine. You know, I commented the review. It's kind of amazing how little heat it takes to get Megan McCain to get out of the kitchen. Uh, and there's one last example of that before we go to calls. So, all right, remember, Seth Meyers was so traumatic she could never go on late night TV again. Uh, that quote tweet was so traumatic she could never live in New York again. Uh, I want to talk about the thing that was so traumatic that it meant she could never... Um, she could never speak at a college campus again. Uh, and before I talk about that, I do want to talk a little bit more generally about McCain's politics because I realize I haven't talked about that very much so far. Right? There's a, you know, I talked about the tweet. I talked about what she, you know, her thinking of Ilhan Omar is an anti-Semite. But I haven't talked much about her general politics, and there's a reason for that, which is that as far as political substance, this book is incredibly thin, Right? incredibly thin um like there's all this stuff about how she doesn't like donald trump right she says well she's republican but you know she's a bad republican that's hence the title which is you know you know she's a a maverick like her dad okay what makes her a maverick well a she doesn't like donald trump b she thinks gay people are fine right you know she's she supports gay rights and there's probably, a, I guess, this, you know, like, that's almost it, right? She says in the book, and this seems to have been part of her conclusion from, you know, like the fact that giving birth and having a kid and all that stuff was hard, which is apparently an epiphany for her, uh, that, you know, now she thinks there should be, like, paid, uh, paid leave for new mothers, which is great. Right? It's a helpful epiphany. Uh, a line that didn't make it into the review, but I was thinking about is I really wish uh, ABC had paid her and the other co-hosts of the view less than uh, $15 an hour, and then maybe she would come around uh, raising the minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour, uh, or they hadn't provided health care, maybe she would have you know, supported Medicare for all. But whatever. Um, it's nice that she, she supports paid leave, you know, paid family leave. Um, but... You know, other than that, it's basically she's fine with gay people and uh, she doesn't like Donald Trump. But why doesn't she like Donald Trump? Does she disagree with any of his policies? If so, she doesn't really say. I mean, I guess she seems to take COVID pretty seriously. So there might be some disagreements there. But, like, the only specific Trump policies she actually references are ones she likes. Right? She says in the book that uh, she likes Trump's Supreme Court appointments, the fact that he put these hardcore conservatives like... 
Uh, Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett on the Supreme Court. She thinks Kavanaugh, you know, was, was unfairly maligned and Amy Coney Barrett should be a feminist icon and blah, 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 blah. All that stuff, right? Um, and she likes, of course, because she's a hardcore Zionist, she likes the fact that Trump moved the American embassy in Israel to Jerusalem. If there are other Trump policies she disapproves of, she doesn't say, which is pretty funny because she makes such a big deal about how, you know, whenever people are mean to her, she says, so they're taking out their frustrations with Trump on her, even though she's anti-Trump. Uh, she says she voted against Trump, I think both times. Uh, she seems to be very pleased that, you know, uh, that Trump lost, you know, her and her dad's uh, home state of Arizona in the 2020 election. All this anti-Trump stuff. And, you know, she does say that January 6th was a terrorist insurrection. That's the, you know, so she's just as hysterical about that as, you know, as uh, presumably everybody else in The View was. But, um, but like, she agrees with Trump about everything, right? Uh, there's a point in, uh, when we get to the Reed College thing, where she... She describes, she sort of compares politics to rooting for a baseball team, which I think is actually an incredibly revealing metaphor, right? Because I think that really is how she sees this shit, you know, that it's like, you know, rooting for the home team. Because, um, yeah, look, if you're just thinking about that sports fan term, notice not even sports commentator terms, right? She's not even comparing political commentary to sports commentary. She's comparing... Uh, the line I'm thinking of when she got upset about these students at Reed College uh, who were giving her a hard time about not knowing enough about tax policy, she said, well, say that you can't comment on politics if you don't know all the stuff about tax policy. It's like saying that uh, if you don't know every, play, every player's uh, batting average, uh, you, you, know, you can't have a favorite baseball team. No, she's not even comparing it to sports commentary, right? Because you know, if we really take that comparison seriously, look, I'm sure Skip Bayless doesn't know every player's batting average, but he does know some stuff, right? Like, he would not be embarrassed by a random audience of baseball-loving undergraduates uh, if he was on their campus to talk about baseball. Uh, the way that Megan, in the story that we're about to hear, was embarrassed by random undergraduates talking about politics. Um but yet, if you think about it, just like casual fanship, then, sh then sure, what are her real complaints about Donald Trump, at least before January 6th? What are her complaints? Well, basically, that uh, he's crude and crass uh, and, you know, embarrassing to, to nice civilized Republicans like her. And that's one. And then two is that, you know, he, he hated her dad. Well, that seems to be about it. Uh, so, um, uh, like the equivalent reasons might be good enough reasons for a casual baseball fan to hate the new coach, but they're pretty weird reasons for somebody who comments on politics for a living to be opposed to an administration, right? Given the real world stakes of this stuff, right? I mean, it's the right result. I mean, I, you know, I, I live in a swing state. I, I held my nose and voted for Biden in 2020, uh, so, you know, Megan McCain and I voted the same way, but I can imagine if I were a conservative, I'd be reading this and think, Jesus, this is vapid and unserious. Like, you you voted for the Democrats over this? Um, okay, so... <coughs> uh, one last thing before the Reed College story, which is that... Um, 
there's this, you know, anybody who watched UTA on Monday talked about this passage with, uh, with Sam Cedar. Uh, there's this amazing quote that o'clock from the beginning of the book where she said, okay, she's a bad Republican. She's a maverick, you know, like John McKay was. Uh, but she's still a Republican, and people are very unfair to her because she's a Republican. And so she's listed off all of her Republican beliefs. What are those, um, you know, what are those Republican beliefs that, uh, that she's listed off? All right. Well, at the beginning of the book, she says, she's, she does this, like, little laundry list of her Republican beliefs. She says, and I quote, I support the military, school choice, freedom of speech, responsible fiscal policy, and the Second Amendment. I believe taxation is theft. And then it goes on, but I just want to pause on that. Because how is it that you can believe that taxation is theft and also be an enthusiastic supporter of the best-funded military machine, you know, best-funded imperial war machine in the history of the human race? You know, your guess is as good as mine, guys. I, I do not know. Um, I think the real answer is she hasn't thought about it. She hasn't thought about any of this stuff. She's just rooting for the home team, which brings us to read College. So uh, in 2012, you know, she had been, I guess for a few years, probably at that point, she'd been going around the country speaking on college campuses. Uh, and uh, so she accepted an invitation to read college, not realizing she said how liberal it was. And um, when the event there started, right, she gave her speech. She, she said she talked about her career path and, quote, the state of the media, the lack of real discourse among people at different points of view. Okay, so as far as I can tell, nobody protested, nobody heckled, everybody clapped politely when she was done talking, but then in the Q&A, there was indeed some real discourse among people with different points of view, and of course, Megan McCain found that traumatic. In response to a question about taxes, she said she favored, quote, a, a flat tax and a balanced budget, unquote. And somehow or another, that led to an argument about abortion, maybe something about federal funding for abortion. Um, and at the end, a uh, guy in the audience asked what she calls a complicated question about taxes, although she doesn't tell us what the question was. Uh, given how the extreme disconnects between how things are and how Megan describes them throughout the book... I would be very unsurprised if what she's called a complicated question was actually a pretty fucking simple question, like, hey, if we have a flat tax and a balanced budget, right? So in other words, we can't spend a dime more than is coming in through taxes, and we're not taxing Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk like even a single percentage point more than we're taxing a minimum wage worker, right? All the money we're spending is, is what's coming in that year from taxes, not a penny more, and you're not taxing Bezos or Musk even like 1% more than you're taxing somebody who works at McDonald's. Gosh, that sure sounds like not very much tax revenue is going to come in. And assuming you don't want to cut your precious military, um, we're just going to have to decimate the social safety net. How would you answer like to what the human consequences of these proposals would be? That's my best guess. I might be wrong, but that's my best guess about the complicated question. Maybe I'm being unfair. Maybe it was genuinely complicated. Um, <laughs> and, of course, Megan is not quick on her feet. Uh, so she just, all she said in response was she didn't, she didn't understand. 
And even though that was supposed to be the last question, uh, another guy jumped up and rephrased the question. And I guess this must come at the end of his rephrasing. Uh, he asked, how do you reconcile being an influential voice with not necessarily being fully informed or being able to defend the things you talk about? Uh, which gets to a question that was asked in a different way uh, earlier in uh, um, earlier in the Q&A. I want to save this for last. I save it for last in the review. This is the line that I end uh, the uh, the review on because uh, it made me laugh so much, and I think it really does get right to the core of it. Is uh, you know, so I'll, I'll probably end the call in today on this unless anybody wants to call in and ask a question or make a comment. If you do want to do that, get in the queue now. Otherwise, this will be the end. Uh, so at the um, <laughs> earlier description of the Q and A. There's just this line that just hit me. It's like, man, I cannot believe she included this in the book because this could not be more perfect as a description of both um, the experience of reading this book and Megan McCain's entire career. You know, could not be more perfect as a description of like just what I've thought every single time I've seen Megan McCain. Um, interviewed or you know a clip from the view or anything uh in the years that i've known who she was uh so she says this girl stood up and said and i quote this is a comment not a question you're only here because of your dad all right we uh we have a call Yeah, hi Ben. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, what's on your mind? Well, I have a question, um, and I'm just trying to phrase it in my mind. Sure. I think I can get it in like 30 seconds. Yep. All right. So I read um, Robert Gates's uh, first memoir. Yep. And he is a right-wing um, political. He's a right-wing um, political figure who I think is a genuine war criminal. Yeah, you're talking. You're talking about the the Secretary of Defense, Robert Gates. That guy. Yeah. Yep. But reading that book taught me things about, helped me learn things about the way the uh, U.S. military and Defense Department works that are incredibly important and that I didn't learn spending four years in the Navy. Right. On the other hand, Tucker Carlson is a right-wing political figure um, who is not a war criminal. Right. And I read his last book and have not really cared what anyone has to say about him uh, since. Um, is there anything in Megan McCain's book that might make it worth reading or might be a good reason for me to start devote caring about her. No, no, there is not. Uh, so I, I, I think that like, yeah, I mean, look, there's a range, um, you know, I mean, I've, I've, I've read several right-wing books in the last, uh, in the last couple of years. And, you know, like obviously some of them are much better than, uh, than others. I, you know, I think like William F. Buckley, I read his book, God, a man at Yale. And it's, and it's like, um, 
at least interested as like a window into like how conservatives see the world. Uh, same for like Peter Hitchens' memoir, uh, The uh, Rage Against God. Um, you know, don't agree with any of it, but again, it's it's a it's an interesting window. Um, I've been reading uh, Sora Bamari, who's a right wing figure, who's one of the founders of Compact Magazine. His book, his book, The Unbroken Thread. And, you know, at least he's a good writer and, you know, he like there are arguments there you can engage with. Uh, but, you know, honestly, uh, I kind of say at the end, I think they actually toned this down a little bit in the editing. You know, I say at the end of the review, like, I don't really think anybody who's not like, you know, being paid to review this thing should should read it. I mean, it's like it's like fun and funny to like hear about and talk about. But it's like uh but it, it's pretty vapid, you know, it's, it's, it's like, it, it really does read almost like a series of blog posts. I mean, like maybe it gives you some insight into, you know, the ability of, um, of a certain kind of right winger to see themselves as the, as the victim in every interaction that, you know, like might be some psychological insight there. But really I think what's interesting about the book is not really the content of the book, right? I think what's interesting about the book is this kind of, um, like meta issue, which is why does anybody um, like why is Megan McCain on TV, right? Why is she a figure among us, right? Like when you could just like open up the phone book and like you know flip open to a page and like ask the first person to be a commentator on national television, they probably do about as good a job as um, as Megan McCain, right? I think that. And I think that that at least tells us, I think that is at least a knocked out argument that we do not live in a meritocracy. And I suppose that's something. All right, guys, I got to go. I've got to be on Feldman right now. But thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much, Jay Miles, for the call. Left is best.